I'm Kim Grenolds with Dogman.com, along with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, and Luke Munger, where Washington has defeated Washington State 41-14 in front of an announced crowd of 71,265. I think Softy had it listed at 721,000. 700 and some thousand, but... Uh, Temperature at kickoff, they say, was 49 degrees and light rain. It was probably a little more than a light rain, and it didn't change. It rained and the entire game, and when we came back out of the tunnel from doing post-game, it had stopped miraculously so we could walk up here. But rain didn't let up. But Washington, first drive, go down and score seven, made it look easy and never looked back. And uh, I think the game plan is pretty much the same as it has been the last couple of years, Chris, just playing real physical, and Washington State just seemed to crumble. Well, not only did they play them physical, but they, you know, Pete Krakowski, it just seems like he has Mike Leach's number in terms of just get as much pressure as you can with three guys. And if that's effective, you've got, you know, cover eight, essentially. And Luke Falk's going to try to, you know, throw the ball up. I mean, we saw it with three picks and, and maybe a couple of others that could have gotten picked. So, um, you know, right now it's just a bad matchup for, for that air raid offense. Vita Vea, you can't – Vita Vea is up there. You can't count him as one because, oh, my God. I mean, just looking from the end zone, he was just running over guys. That may have been the most dominant defensive tackle performance I've seen since number 90 was here. I asked, I asked Kukowski about that specifically, and he said no. He said he thinks he's seen him do, it, do that a couple times this year, have that kind of dominant performance. But he said flat out he challenged him. He challenged Vita to make a difference along that defensive line, and it showed. Scott, you've seen when players have, are so dominant, they put fear into the other guys. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you right now, and this isn't the first year, but Washington State looked like they you know, had some fear in their eyes when it came to Vita Vea, those safeties back there, and – also, when um, I was back by the Washington State Tunnel at half, and when they came out, that looked like a team that didn't want to be here anymore. They didn't want to be there anymore. And, and I mean, Vita Vea made it so that Washington could, only had to rush three to get pressure on Luke Falk. He was taking up two, sometimes three blockers in there. They were keeping in a back end. They were keeping – they don't really have a tight end, but kind of an H-back guy that they that they might use every now and then. He, it was just impossible. He was bullying them. And, I, I mean, it. I, I don't know what else to say. I, I agree with Kim. I haven't seen a dominant performance like that since Steve Etman. I was going to say, and, and guess how many sacks he got credited for uh, tonight? Half a sack. Half yeah. a sack. Mm-hmm. That is the best half a sack performance I have ever seen in my entire life. And then Kim touched on it as well. I think uh, just the physicality of the secondary as well was eminent. Towards the end of the game, there's that one – ball that was kind of floated up to Kyle Sweet then he ended up dropping when Austin Joyner was about ready to take it looked like his head off I think there were footsteps that were heard by the the, the Washington State receivers all night long that I think and then Ezekiel Turner after the game said that that was something that was part of their game plan all along they knew that in that offense there are going to be completed passes so when there's a completed pass, make sure that their presence is felt with a, with a strong hit afterwards. As much as the offense set the tone on going down right away and scoring rather easily on that drive, <coughs> excuse me, Tevis Bartlett with an early sack on uh, Luke Falk and slamming his head into the ground like we've seen numerous times happen, and I think that set the tone for the defense as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I thought, honestly, the first three and out, 
I mean, the first drive, there was, they went right three and out right away. Washington forced four three and outs in the first half. They only uh, allowed – so the, there were only six drives. Four of them were three and outs, and two of them were five play drives. And they ended in turnovers. And I just, you know, Washington played about as perfect a game in that first half as I think you could play from a defensive standpoint. I, I don't know if they could play any better than they played. Again, four first half sacks, five tackles for loss. They had at least one pick. Mm-hmm. What? At least one pick, two picks maybe? Two picks and two a Two picks and a fumble recovery. And they were 0 for 4 in third down defense mm-hmm. in terms of. You know, Washington State didn't have a third down conversion all first half. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they, I don't think you can ask them to do much more. Well, as I said in you know, my prediction, that turnovers would be the key. And against Washington State, they've been able to get pressure on the quarterback and create the turnovers. And the turnovers comes from the physical play. Washington State's a finesse team. And when Washington comes in here and they play the bully against them, unlike Stanford, Stanford, you know, plays hard and hits hard, but they don't have the athletes. But Washington's speed and the tenacity, you know, and knocking those guys around that's what's leading to the turnovers yeah absolutely i mean once again i just think it was uh you were saying that going into the second half washington had just beaten the will of the washington state team and i think that was eminent kind of just in the way that that game ended up unfolding and that what i mean washington held i mean for the majority or for three quarters washington state scoreless Negative rushing yards, obviously, a lot of that came from sacks. And how about, like, I was surprised to see Washington State. I mean, I know they haven't run the ball a ton and super effectively this year, but the, a total abandonment of the run game was very surprising as well. Chris, Chris Peterson mentioned after the Utah game, you know, the last few games they haven't had a lot of turnovers. And Pete said that the goal was to have three a game and, you know, to put that emphasis back on trying to get those turnovers and playing against a team against like Washington State where they've had a lot of turnovers. I think that was probably the key to the game. Well, three picks, fumble recovery, and, you know, talking to Coach K again, he said there was a couple more that they left on the table that they could have had. I mean, even you go on special teams and you go in that early – uh, punt with Morrow, and it was Morrow, wasn't it, who who, who uh, muffed the punt, yeah. and uh, Jamon Dotson was right there to make the play if he was uh, if he was focused and, on the carrier. And Byron Murphy would have had that pick six when he stepped right in front of that guy and just didn't make the play. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, well, you could tell Falk he was timing yeah. Falk by the end. He had him ready to go. It was just a matter of setting him up mm-hmm. and and making the play. But yeah, Byron Murphy back with authority, three pass breakups. Um, you know, we talk about the sacks, and they only had five sacks, but they really spread the wealth. I mean, you had five or six different guys that had a hand in it, whether it was Bartlett or Vea, Jalen Johnson, Levi Onzerike, Ryan Bowman. I mean, everybody got a piece of uh, Luke Fault tonight. When you talk, listen to Hugh Millen talk, he talks about quarterbacks bringing their um, eyes up, you know, looking down the field instead of their eyes down and looking where the defensive linemen are coming from. And when you take a look at what Vita Vea, Jalen Johnson, Greg Gaines were able to do, you know, his eyes were down quite a bit and I mean to me down on the field it was pretty obvious Luke Falk never looked comfortable oh I would say that he got yippy remember I even said it to you Chris I said he got yippy on that first just I think it was his third attempt yeah and he looked like he was bailing out on it and and threw a short pass to a guy who was wide open you you could tell when he wanted to go downfield it was more just kind of throw it up and hope as opposed to throwing it up there with a plan. He kind of was trying to throw guys open, but instead he ended up throwing the ball and getting it picked in the middle of the field. And then 
But so that's where they pretty much abandoned their downfield passing game and just did all the dink and dunk mm-hmm. uh, at a certain point. But by then, I think it was twenty-seven nothing, thirty-four nothing. It was what's the point? Yeah, and I mean the the pick by JoJo McIntosh was, I mean, came when he threw it into quadruple coverage. Yeah. I mean, there's two guys under, two guys over. And he just threw it up, hoping for the best, and the best didn't happen. So, uh, I mean, I, I thought it was um, it was pretty evident that, like Kim said, he didn't feel very comfortable at all. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't have a whole ton to add, uh, just in terms of what Washington was able to do defensively. Uh yeah, I, that JoJo, I, that that pick by JoJo, I was surprised. Yeah, because it looks like it looks like all eleven players were were on that one receiver. I was like, dang, how many players can Washington play with on one play? It felt like they had the entire roster out there uh, covering. I don't know, was that intended for Tavares Martin or or whoever? But yeah, it definitely felt like just. And I think a lot of that has to do with what Washington was able to do. Going back to Vita Vea and Greg Gaines and those guys creating pressure with just three guys. When you can drop eight into coverage, sometimes it can feel like you're playing with uh, like extra defenders on the field because you don't need to bring extra pressure. Dante Pettis goes down early, and I think you know it's pretty safe to say we're all wondering what impact is that going to have on the passing game. And then you take a look at the stats. Ty Jones with two receptions. Bacellio with two. Pettis only had two. Uh, Kamari Pleasant with one weird one. Uh, you know, and just everybody with one. Uh, how much do you think the loss of Dante Pettis and, or the success of the round, ground game altered the game? Well, I mean, for, to be honest with you, I think you know, they, Washington State prides itself. They call, it, they call themselves Speed D. And so you may not be able to go side to side on him, but if you can attack a guy like Hercules Madoff right, right at him, if you can go right at him, if you can go right at that middle because they're not necessarily big guys, um, I think between the tackles that's where they were really effective. When you, th- when you run for over 300 yards, this is, again, this is just like UCLA. They just don't have to throw the ball that much. With uh, Washington State's small defensive front, uh, we saw something we hadn't seen in quite some time, and I asked Jake Browning about this, and he said they were not checked down. They were called plays. But uh, Jake Browning on quarterback sneaks, and he looked like he could uh, pretty much do that at any time. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, they got four yards. Yeah, four-yard four four yard four yard four yard quarterback sneak, sneak yeah. like, and when you're just trying to get a yard and you get four. Yeah. So Tell me what you saw on that, because I'm down on the field field level. Tell me about the push that they were getting on those. Well, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, they just uh, – Coleman Shelton, Nick Harris, and um, Andrew Kirkland just basically pushed the guys back, and, and I mean, they couldn't do anything about it. And, and to be fair, that isn't necessarily their bread-and-butter play on a third and short or fourth and short. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily something that they, they do. They don't necessarily like to put a hit on Browning mm-hmm. if they don't have to. But, again, I think that was part of it was catching them off guard a little bit. But then again, that was also the drive of the Washington offensive line against that smaller front and just kind of just, again, it's kind of like a God's play. It's just kind of power on power and see who wins. When you talk about you know the small defensive line for Washington State, uh, Washington's offensive line just dominated them. But that being said, Miles Gaskin was special tonight. Oh, unreal. Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing that I was going to say is not only were was Washington's offensive line able to kind of get pushed in those situations, but uh, it felt like Miles had 25 carries, and it felt like he only hit the turf like six times. Yeah. Because it, like, whether it would be someone just finally stopping his forward progress or, or him getting out of bounds or something or being pushed out of bounds, it, it felt like it would take four Cougar defenders to even bring him to the turf. And for the other other parts, he'd be able to just keep his legs churning. I mean, there, there was one play where I think he got hit on the eight yard line and ended up down at the two, where he yeah. just kept in like he just right. kept his legs churning. I, 
Well, for me, um, and Chris and I kind of noticed this from where we were up top, and Washington State has done this ever since Mike Leach got there. It's his philosophy, I guess. I, I, I got to believe it's that. But they slant. Their defensive linemen slant on almost every play. They'll stem right before the snap, and then they'll either – go back the opposite way on a slant or they'll stay out. And every, and Washington had it dialed in because basically they would slant themselves out of a play and then Miles or um, Saban would cut backside and the hole would be 10 feet wide. I mean, and it, I mean, that's like old school football right there that Washington used to run where I remember Hugh Millen saying when he would hand off the ball to a running back and he would have – you could drive a Mack truck through it. And I, Washington State, I don't know how, why that was effective against Stanford and not against Washington because okay. let's be honest, Stanford has five stars and four-star guys all across their, their offensive line. They've sent guys to the NFL like – on a regular basis, but for some reason they have not been able to run the ball against Washington State. But when Washington gets out there, they just put it right to Washington State. And I mean, they did, they weren't pulling guys, they weren't doing anything special with their offensive line. They were literally just washing them out, and and the tailbacks were looking at the hole. I've got them. a little bit different view, so tell me what you saw up here. But what I saw from Miles today, it wasn't so much running between the tackles; it was just he was Barry Sander esque. Tonight, you know, he was zigzagging, he was cutting, stopping, starting. Um, he wasn't running up the back of the offensive lineman, but he was able to pick and choose. And he was just like a sewing machine, just going and zigging and zagging in different I think directions. You're a little off because he did run between the tackles. Ninety percent of his yards were inside the no, tackles. About but run- once he got to the second level, he was making guys miss. I'm talking about not running up in the middle of the tackles into a brick wall. Okay. Well, he does, but he doesn't do that. He has so much patience. Yeah. He's usually hiding behind the line, and then he'll cut through. <laughs> To me, what it was reminiscent of was kind of the, you know, the the days of Stanford under Luck and, and McCaffrey and some of those guys earlier, where it was like power counter, mm-hmm. where depending on where the tendency of the defense was going, they would go the other way. So if the the tendency was going one way, they'd go counter, or they go one way, they'd go power, and it basically it was like when they were stemming and then they'd slant back in to find the crease. Like wherever they were slanting, they would just go the other way, mm-hmm. and it just seemed to me like. You know, you would assume Washington State would have a change up, or they would just maybe they would stem and then just go straight ahead, or they would do something to try to change that up. I didn't. It didn't feel like there was any change ups. It was literally like every time we could almost dictate, we could figure out up here they stemmed, and it was like okay, he's going to the right, mm-hmm. and they all they had to do was bounce it to the right, and you'd have a Mack truck sized yeah. hole, and it, they had that all night. And Alex Grinch did. They just I don't know what what it was, but they just could not. Uh, counter what Washington was doing, or if they tried, it just was really ineffective. And the way Miles was running, and then LeVon Coleman with two runs before he got injured, and I really thought that LeVon Coleman was going to be due for a big 100-yard. I thought we were going to have 200-yard oh, rushers in too. tonight's game with the way LeVon was running. Yeah, I did hurt. too. Um, I did hear, um, at least on the Honks post game that he came back in um, and then limped well, he had a boot. Yeah. He had a boot on when he went up to the – <laughs> to the, the the conductor's deal uh, where Brad McDavid is with the band. He went up all the way there, and he had a boot and on. And he had a boot on. But according to them, he came back after B- 
being out. Yeah. At least that's what I understood well, them and, to and say. And Dante Pettis was also out in the field post game, and he was walking around a little bit. He Chris Peterson back at one point as yeah, well. Yeah, Chris Peterson said the trainers told him there was nothing broken or with either of those guys in terms. He said, you know, tomorrow you don't know they'll do a further examination, swelling but, and all that. Yeah, yeah, but he said, but they felt pretty comfortable that they were going to be okay. So you assume they're going to be available well, for a bowl. Have close to a month. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, um, just, you know, uh, another guy that I was real happy for tonight. Uh, had a great game and put a lot of demons behind him the last couple weeks. Tristan Vizcano, who originally committed to Washington State, you know, and then switched with Sark, I believe it was. And then, uh, you know, he had a couple of nice field goals tonight and all the extra points. His uh, uh, kickoffs were right on. I thought Tristan had a hell of a game. And to go through what he's gone through, and I've said this before, they didn't recruit him as a kicker. They recruited him as a punter, and he was forced to into kicking this year. My hat's off to that kid. He's just been a class kid the entire way, so good to see him end on this kind of a note. Well, I was going to say that if you were an NFL scout and you hadn't scouted Washington all year and didn't really know anything about what Tristan had gone through this year, and you saw him kick in the elements the way he did today, and he kicked those 30, 40-yard kicks with a lot of room to spare and was getting touchbacks on the kickoffs, you start to think maybe we can pick this guy up as a free agent, or we can, you know, he might have a future as an NFL kicker because he looked like there looked like nothing was wrong with Tristan Vizcano today. How, I I don't know if you guys could tell it. I was in the middle of it. Could you guys tell how bad it was down there, element wise, rain? Is this where you get to rant about the rain? Yeah. No, well, no, no. Well, I mean, we could see it in the slow motion replays, the the spray coming off. But yeah, it no, like it definitely got worse and yeah. worse as the yeah. game went on. But then, but by the time the game like was, was that bad, by the time the game was over, it didn't look bad at all. Yeah, and I was down there the last eight minutes of the game, and it was. It was okay. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the saving grace is it, the winds didn't start kicking up until about the fourth quarter. But, uh, yeah, it definitely was raining. And uh, I was talking to Jen Cohen a little bit on the sidelines. She was really pleased with the uh, fans and staying as late as they yeah. did. And Chris Peterson. They were there early, too. Chris Peterson yeah. even mentioned, you know, that um, – Felt it's considered it's considered a shut or considered a uh, sellout today. Yeah. He's you know today was a different feel. This is a different feel. You know, and he says it's always a good feel, but when it's like it is today, it's special. It was loud down there today. Well, yeah. well, let me just say this: since you had a conversation with Jen Cohen, did you ask her about Chris Peterson's supposed meeting with the Tennessee AD? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, people, man, those those people need to go look up gullible in the dictionary. Yeah, there is no way Chris Peterson would be doing that the night before an exactly. Apple Exactly. Well, no way that happened. Well, yeah, it's, it's probably tonight or tomorrow. Then, yeah, that it'll be tonight is the meeting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah actually, me, Jen Cohen, and Larry uh, Scott are all going to sit down and have a talk. Because oh, yeah, you yeah. know, thirteen coins is twenty four hours. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, coaching carousels in full tilt. So um, it'll be interesting. To- well, it, Washington's got a coach that. Is going to be up for some jobs in Jimmy Lake, yeah. so you know it'll be inter- that is something we're going to have to follow and see how that impacts Washington. Uh, the rec- it could re- impact the recruiting class. So what about Jonathan Smith? Uh, Jonathan Smith obviously is going to be open for you know looking for jo- or not looking for jobs, but you know will be up for some jobs. I don't think it'll be the caliber jobs that Jimmy Lake will be, but we'll and have let to me see. just tell you, you know, with Jimmy Lake, you know, what I'm hearing, I talk to agents, I talk to people that know Jimmy, um, you know, he got offered, you know, the D coordinator job at Cal, you know, and he's probably going to get some D coordinator jobs. And what I keep on hearing, he's being told, 
you don't need to go to another school to become a defensive coordinator to become a head coach. You guys may not agree with that, but you know, I think that a lot of people have a point. When I was down at Arizona State, and I've talked about this before, you know, um, they hate Todd Graham down there. I mean, they're looking for a reason to get rid of Todd Graham. Well, the, the, the AD tonight has made basically made no comment yeah. about his future, which basically says, "Well, I'll and, give you a comment when after, we ter- when we terminate him." That was so. after a forty-two to thirty win in your rivalry game. Yeah, they want, I mean, from everything I'm hearing, they want to dump him. They want to hire a minority head coach. And, uh, boy, they're looking at Jimmy Lake hard. And Jimmy I th- Lake has ties to Arizona, too. So Yeah, but do you, do you know who do you know who the name that I'm hearing now is Kevin Someone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Yeah. Dead serious. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, I think Jimmy's going to have a lot of suitors out there. And Take I think and, and it, love it. If, Jerry, if, if Jimmy Lake got offered the Arizona State job, I mean, he's got to take that and I think that'd be a great spot and I think he could win down there. How, yeah, how would Byron Murphy feel about that? Um, like that. I think Byron's happy here. Well, I'm let, sure let, Byron Murphy's happy just, here right let me now. Let yes. this. Jimmy Lake pulled Byron Murphy out of Arizona when Arizona State wanted him. Yeah. Saguaro High School, which is where Byron Murphy is from, uh, has a reputation of never sending guys to uh, Arizona State. And they're one of the top programs in the state. By the way, just a little side note, Washington commit, 2018 commit, Mateo Mele's team, South Point Catholic, is playing Saguaro on December 2nd for the Division II state title. So just a little side note there. But anyway, Jimmy Lake would give Arizona State that, because Jimmy Lake has a great relationship apparently with that coach there at Saguaro. And that's a that's basically like Skyline, like Lakes, like Bellevue in the state of Arizona. It's Jason Mons, isn't it? Uh, yes, I believe that's the name. So um, Jimmy Lake already has a really good relationship. That would automatically give them a, a pipeline into one of the top programs in that state. Yeah. Well, some of us need to go home and dry out a little bit. So uh, Luke Munger, final thoughts in the Apple Cup today? Well, it was a lot of fun sitting down in the student section for my first time. first time. Yeah. yeah, it was great. It was loud. It was fun. People were engaged. Uh, yeah, I mean, and then I think the first – was it, gosh, seven minutes of that game really were pretty indicative of how the entire thing went. Washington went down, ran the ball on every, almost every single play and was able to punch it in on like a six-minute drive. And then they kicked the ball to Washington State and forced a three and out. And then that was pretty much the story for three quarters. Washington ran for over 300 yards, almost had two, two or 200-yard rushers. Savon looked really good, not only running on like fly sweeps, but also running between the tackles and making people miss in a more of a traditional running back role, it looks like. And just everything that the Huskies were able to do on the ground and defensively was impressive. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what it is. Every every year, the last three years, the Apple Cup has made us nervous. And then it gets into it, and then it's just uh, a physical domination. Chris Fetters, final thoughts? Um, just that, uh, yeah, again, I, I kind of posted at the beginning of the week, 31-13, 45-10, 45-17. 41-14. It just continues. I mean, by the way, that was Kim's. Yeah, Kim, Kim had 42-14, if I remember correctly, or was it 41-14? Either way, I think you, it kind of goes to show that you should be making more predictions while you're on death's door. Pretty much. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so that so that's good for you. That give pro, give Kim props for not only doing that but braving the rain while not feeling great. So you know you get a, you get an attaboy for that. But I will say that you know four touchdowns, 192 yards. 
rushing for Miles Gaskin. I believe this is his swan song in terms of Husky Stadium. I think that's the last time Washington fans are going to see him play at Husky Stadium. I think he's gone. Um, I think it's an amazing way to go, especially with Chris Polk in the audience. Uh, watching him go, uh, I don't think there's anything else he needs to prove. And um, so it's going to be a lot of fun. There was no juniors. There was no suddenly senior moment for anyone tonight. It was all seniors. So we don't know if Avita Vea is going to go. Uh, we don't know if a Greg Gaines is going to go. You know, so, we, so we'll find that out eventually a little bit. But, again, there's something about this matchup with Chris Peterson and Mike Leach. And Peterson has Leach's number, and I don't see it stopping anytime soon. Yeah. Scott Eklund, final thoughts? Well, I look like the clown because I picked a really, really close game. <clears throat> I've yeah, done you it. You did last week, too, and it was. I know. Well, yeah, but that's because I'm a soothsayer when it comes to uh, Utah. Oh. But apparently when Washington State comes, they, they're fool's gold for me, apparently, because I think they're going to give – they had more to play for than Washington did. They're coming off of a bye week. They're healthier than Washington is. I, I thought at the very least they would keep it close, Okay. I just look like a fool, and I'm glad I was because um, Washington just came out dominated from the opening kickoff to the final gun, essentially. Um, You know, you couldn't ask for a better game defensively. I thought the defense played unbelievably. Vita Vea, we don't know if he's going, but we're all pretty sure he's going to be gone. Uh, I thought he his swan song at Washington was unbelievable. Like you said, Miles Gaskin, unbelievable. Just overall, it was a, a perfect win. I, really a perfect day for Washington football. The fans look. The fans were great. I, I I really can't think of one thing that was bad from a Husky standpoint today. Um, great day today. Um, started off, you know, one of the first people I saw. Uh, had a chance to tell Bob Rondo. It's been an honor and a pleasure dealing with him for the 20 years we've been doing this. Um, and as cool as the guy as he is on the air, he's one of the nicest men you will ever want to come across. He's just truly a nice, nice man. And he's very, very well prepared and he works hard. I don't think people understand the amount of time that he puts in. And uh, tribute was paid to him in numerous ways today, which was really Kim, cool. I was going to say real quickly. Um, like during halftime and whatnot, he kind of came out to get something, get something to drink or whatever, and he probably shook the hand of every media member, gave him a hug or something. There, he definitely did not take this for granted. I think he soaked it all in, and I think he really, really appreciated all the all the love. Even though you I think he's th- next door to us right now. Yeah, I th- yeah. I think well, he's in the Bob Rondo. Yeah, he's in yeah. the radio room, the Bob Rondo radio room. But I will say that I, I think you know it's kind of self deprecating. He kind of didn't want to like put all the attention on himself. But I think the way it was done, the thanks Bob with the with the crowd and everything else, I think he really appreciated it. Well, Jan Cohen pretty much told him at the beginning of the year. It's you know I know you don't want to do it, but get over it. It's happening so you know just deal with it i also told jen if she didn't get an answer on me and the rest of the bobbleheads i was going to start getting out her cell phone number i'm getting texts and emails where can i get a bobblehead where can i get a bobblehead you know so uh hopefully the the, i was gonna say i I, I might do 501 yeah so uh you know we'll do that but uh also um end of an era tonight uh this is now chris peterson's team uh, mm-hmm. From from here on out, uh, all the Sarks guys will be gone from the team. Last game, last time for all those t- guys, um, and some of those guys are really really special. Uh, Keyshawn Bieria, you know, I talked to Keyshawn about how special it's been. Will Disley, um, yeah, Coleman Shelton, you know, guys that have been through yeah, a lot. Kirkland. Will yeah. Disley, yeah, you know, and just you know, one of our favorites, you know, not here, you know, just uh, and. Um, 
my uh, Azim Victor. You know, I feel bad for Azim because Azim is a good kid. I don't, well, I don't how feel much? Bad how much would he have loved I, I, going out there to not plan? Azim Victor. I don't think what has happened with him. It, you always ask the question: Is that who he is, or, is that, or is that what he did? I think it was what he did. I don't think it's who yeah. he is. I don't feel bad for him. You know what you're doing when yeah. you get behind the wheel of a car after having something to drink. There is Uber. Yeah. There is Lyft. There are so many things that weren't available when I was in college to not drive home drunk. Yeah. And it was a stupid mistake. I get it, but I don't feel bad for him. Yeah. Well, I, I wish you would have been here. I wish you would have been able to run out because I, 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 can, I, cause I can promise yeah. you this. He would have had the largest ovation of anybody coming out of the Oh, yeah. Time. He would have, well, him and Dante for sure. But, but I would do say. Do you think that was his choice? Not to be here, or was that Chris Peterson's Chris choice? Yeah. Well, I think it was both. I think yeah. I think okay. he may have taken the so. he may have taken the decision out of Pete's hands, but I don't care. It doesn't really matter at this point. But I will say that he will, like Marcus Peters, he will come back and will do pro day. I need a full body dryer to dry out after this rain. I'm sure some of the Husky fans listening to this feel that way as well. So, but there <coughs> you can still see here my cough. But um, basketball um, again uh, Sunday at five o'clock against Kennesaw State. UC Davis. Is it UC Davis? Kennesaw State on Tuesday then. We'll be back on Sports Radio 950 KJR on Tuesday from 630 to 8. Been a wild season, you know, and uh, Luke Monger, big thanks. You know, you work Thank hard. You, guys. You, you know, just. Uh, huge thanks. Yeah, huge thanks. You've helped us out a lot. Um, and all of us. We're not going anywhere. The guys from dogman.com. <laughs> Off-season's busier than the season, so... Monday starts, the coach is on the road, yeah. so be prepared for those. Yeah, so stay tuned. From all of us at dogman.com, we are in the visiting coaches booth, and nothing is dismantled in here, which is kind of surprising. We're washing in one more time, defeated Washington State 41-14. to And... Well, we'll see. We'll see. So, <laughs> so anyways, uh, for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds, along with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, and Luke Munger. Go dogs. <laughs>